0: Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. It's my joy to welcome you here to Central tonight and pray that you experience the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus here among us as we worship Him tonight on Christmas Eve. Maybe you've come here tonight and you are very familiar with what happened and what we're celebrating, what we remember on that Christmas all those years ago. But perhaps we aren't all equally clear on the why of Christmas why did Jesus come why do we celebrate tonight well we have an answer in our text from the lips of an angel the answer comes in his name the word made Savior let's pray as we turn our minds and our hearts to Matthew 1 beginning in verse 18 let's pray together Holy Spirit we ask that you would open our eyes that we could behold Jesus the beautiful wonderful Jesus here And enable us to worship Him, our Savior. So Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word from Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest. Some of you who know me well would not be surprised at all if I tell you that I've always loved nicknames. Loved them my whole life. That means I love to give people nicknames. And when I give someone a nickname, when I was younger especially, it would, it would say something that was true of them, something that was fun about their personality, something that connected to them somehow. For example, one of my best friends in high school was named Bo, and I nicknamed Bo Bebop because Bebop loved early 80s hip-hop music. And so he became Bebop to not only me, but to all of our friends. Bo became Bebop. Another one of my high school friends named Scott laughed probably more than any human being I've ever met in my life. And so you can guess his nickname became Happy. And that name stuck. Now, 35 years later, our circle of friends still calls Scott Happy. It's a good name because it sticks and because it labels something that's true about him. Names mean something. So what do we learn about the purpose of the Christmas story when we discover what the name of this child is to be in verse 21? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We learn the purpose of Christmas from the name of God the Son who came to save us. Two brief points for us from this text tonight, and the first one is this, Jesus saves it's his name Jesus saves Matthew presents the story of Jesus's birth from Joseph's perspective and from Joseph's perspective there was a big problem he and Mary were betrothed that means that they were engaged and in their world their engagement would have happened when Mary was 13 or 14 years old And to be betrothed to someone was to be uh, bound in an enforceable contract, a covenant in which this man and this woman would be married, but they weren't yet married. And the expectation would be that the couple wouldn't engage with one another sexually until after the marriage occurred. But while they were still betrothed, Mary turned up pregnant. And you might know that Nazareth, where they lived, was a small town. And for an unmarried Mary... To be found pregnant would have brought great shame to not only her family but also to Joseph's family. You know how people talk in small towns. And as a matter of fact, we live in the largest small town in America here in St. Louis. We know how those things go. If they were looking at this the natural way, either Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph, or Mary and Joseph had together been unfaithful to God. And Joseph knew the case wasn't the latter. So he resolved to divorce Mary quietly. He didn't want to shame her, didn't want to bring public ridicule into her life. He wanted to do the merciful thing and divorce her quietly. The only thing in this story that keeps it from becoming the sordid tale of a small town is verse 18, where it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But how would anybody believe them? I mean, that seems like crazy talk, right? My fiance is pregnant with the Son of God and she's a virgin. Right, Joseph, we get it. How could Joseph even be expected to believe Mary's story? He was thinking these things over, not understanding what had happened until the angel came in verse 20 and appeared to him in a dream and the angel confirmed what Mary had said. He told Joseph, don't be afraid to marry her for what it, she is indeed pregnant, although a virgin. And that strange credulity, doesn't it? I mean, a virgin conceiving, that's not the way these things go. But the only reason to deny that it is possible is to already be convinced that miracles are impossible. But the word of God tells us all things are possible with God. If there is a God, could he not intervene supernaturally? If there is a God who fashioned galaxies and flung stars into the sky and knows all of their names, if there's a God who created a womb, could he not also cause a virgin to conceive? Of course he could. And he does so here with a purpose, the purpose that's announced at the angel's voice in verse 21. This child is to be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name isn't unusual. In Jesus' day, Jesus was the sixth most common name for little boys, it was analogous to the Hebrew name Joshua, and the name means God. Saves, but this isn't a little boy. A little boy like every other little boy. He came to embody the fact that God saves. There were lots of different ideas about how that could happen in the first century in Judea, when God had visited His people before. He in, in the Old Testament, it was like a, a column and a pillar of fire, like in Sinai, and he would come thundering through the prophets when they would warn of, ju- of judgment. But the angel here announces the simplicity of this child's name. His name means God saves. That's why he came. John chapter three, which we read just a few moments ago. There, the apostle John told us that the world is already condemned because it does not believe in the Messiah who had come. We're already condemned, but God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son, this Jesus, this child born to Mary that day. So that whoever believed in him would not perish, wouldn't be judged, would not be condemned, wouldn't fail in judgment, but have instead eternal life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus saves, and yet some of us have the idea that Jesus is on the hunt for a people to condemn look around and say this Jesus has come to cast people aside because we don't measure up in some way but the scriptures say that Jesus is a gentle and lowly savior he was born to save you you and me here tonight but save us from what that begs a question he's born to save but save us from what the angel announced he shall call be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins when some of us respond to the question what's wrong with the world we tend to point at other people those enemies out there they them those people Now, to be fair, God did deliver his people and save them from their enemies. So think of their Egyptian enemies who had enslaved them. God delivered them. Or the Babylonian enemies or the Assyrian enemies that exiled God's people, ripped them away from their home. God delivered. In Jesus' own day, many of them looked to be delivered from Rome who oppressed God's people in their own land. They, them, those people be sure God's people needed to be delivered from their enemies but sometimes we get the idea that our primary enemy is out there somewhere it's they it's them it's it's those people but hear the announcement that the angel made his name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins he's come to save us from our sins. Some of you here tonight have endured awful things. Hardship, trauma, trial, and I don't for one moment want to minimize the suffering that you may have gone through. And the promise is when Jesus returns again, He will right every wrong. He will restore every injustice. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But at the same time, The Bible's testimony is that the evil from which we need to be delivered isn't simply out there. It's in here. It's inside me. I need deliverance from my sin, from my wickedness, my evil, from my death and my shame, just as you do from your own evil and wickedness and sin and shame. The evil out there is the same evil that's in our own hearts. And there is no other solution to the problem of our evil than the Redeemer Jesus who has come down from heaven to save us. There is no other way for the evil of this world, the, the evil inside us to be conquered. No other way but Jesus, whose name it means, God saves God came down, he pierced the darkness, coming to rescue by making himself small, I mean, a, a helpless child laid in a manger. But the inbreaking of God was more than just the mystery of God taking on flesh and entering our world. The beautiful gospel is that God broke into this world in order to be broken for us. He saves us by being born to die for us. And there's no other religion that proclaims that, that God has come down to us to bear our wounds, to take our sin on his shoulders. The gospel is not that we work our way to God. It's not that we must search for him and find him out there or discover enlightenment or be good enough for God to love us. The story of the gospel of Jesus coming is God came down for sinners like me and you to bear our wounds, to bear our sins on the cross of Calvary, condemned in our place. This Son of God was born to die in judgment for our sin so that we could be restored to Him forever and live with Him eternally. He shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sin some of us don't really think we need all that saving. When we look at our own lives, we don't recognize the evil or the wickedness that lies within, but rather we see it in other people out there. The story that the Bible tells about us is that because of our sin, within us we are worse off than we ever imagined ourselves to be. The news is not good. But at the same time, we are more loved than we could ever dream of having been loved. For this God came down for us. This God came to you and me that he might lift us out of our sin, save us from our misery, and live with him forever in peace. Do you know that you need this kind of Jesus tonight? That's why he came for people like us. A friend shared with me a story this week that I would like to share with you tonight about an exceedingly wealthy man who loved to collect art with his son. The halls of their estate were filled with with dozens of works of art. And one day, a few months before Christmas, this son was called to serve his country in wartime. And as they got closer to Christmas, just a few weeks before the news arrived that this young man had been killed in battle. On Christmas morning, in his grief, the father heard a knock at the door, and he opened it to find a soldier standing there with a package wrapped in his hand. And the soldier handed the package to the father, and he said, I was a friend of your son's. In fact, I was the one he was rescuing when he was killed. The father ripped the the paper off the package, and he saw that it was a portrait it was a portrait of his son, which this soldier had painted, not very well, mind you, especially not in the eye of an art collector. But in some way, this soldier had captured the, the emotion, the personality, what, what, what made his son special. And with great joy, that father hung this portrait of his son over his mantle, alongside dozens of his works of art. And all through the winter, he sat in front of his fireplace gazing at this portrait of his son whom he loved it had become his most prized possession not six months later this father died in the art community couldn't wait for the auction of his collection that was going to happen the following christmas day a year to the day of when he received the gift of this portrait of his son So the collectors all gathered in in his home on Christmas to bid on the artwork and no one expected that the very first item to be auctioned was this portrait, this not very good portrait of the man's son. The bidding began and the room was silent. And then the silence became a little uncomfortable and then the collectors all began to grumble. Nobody wants this piece, move on. Can't you get to some of the good artwork? But the auctioneer said, I'm sorry. The portrait of the son must sell first. Who will take the son? Finally, the neighbor bid $50 on the painting. He said, I, I knew that boy. I, I loved that boy. I would like to have his painting. $50. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, and the gavel comes down, sold for $50. and then the auctioneer announced that the auction was now complete and he thanked everyone for coming that day. Everyone was stunned. What are you talking about? The auction is complete. There's millions of dollars worth of art left to be auctioned off here. What do you mean? The auctioneer simply replied, it's simple. According to the will of this father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Whoever takes the son gets it gets it all. That's the same message of Christmas. Have you taken the son? Have you surrendered your life to this son who has come to save you? Surrendered your your past sins that he is able and willing to forgive all of them? Surrendered your present need Whatever's going on in your life right now, have you surrendered that to this Jesus who has come and will save you? Have you surrendered and rolled all of your future hopes onto his shoulders? Have you taken the son tonight? This son, this baby born whom we celebrate on Christmas is the same one who would die on the cross to forgive us for all of our sin. This baby helpless and crying is the one who cried out from the cross. It is finished as he atoned for all of our sin. This baby swaddled and laid down in the manger is the same one who was raised up from the dead and now sits on the throne and rules over everything and everyone. This God saves Because the son gave his life for us. And if you receive the son, the apostle Paul says, will God not graciously with him give us all things? How far is God willing to go to love a sinner like me? A sinner like you, how far would God go? The answer is seen when we look down into the manger and we look up to the cross, and we look into the empty tomb and see a God who is alive, who came to save us. It's his invitation to us tonight. His invitation to every one of us is that he will save us if we would only trust in him, believe in the God who has come to save. Have you taken the son tonight? That's when we celebrate Christmas. That's when we're here singing his praise. The son has come that we might live. Let's pray. Father, on this Christmas night, we ask that you would enable us all to believe and to trust that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we have been, Jesus, you have come to save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. Save us from the judgment that is coming. Lord, you came to save. And so we trust you tonight. We place all of our hopes and our dreams on your shoulders. We place all of our our longing for things to be made right into your hands, Jesus. And we ask that you would enable us to follow after you as your children whom you dearly love. Tonight, on this Christmas Eve, O Lord, would you save? For you have come to seek and to save the lost. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly, we pray. And save us, we ask, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.